Oh, give it to him like he deserves it. Give it to him like he deserves it. Mm, yeah, we worship you. Shout, shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. Come on, lift your voice. Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. Come on, clap, clap. You're not clapping for a football team. You're clapping for the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, we praise you, God. Some of you might say, well, Pastor Tom, I'm just not an emotional person. Why not? And see, here's the thing. I believe if we have a hard time shouting, clapping, being emotional, you know, to the Lord, we just haven't really seen him in his fullness. I mean, we just need to see him because the moment you see him, who we are doesn't matter. Because it's just, I mean, I've watched people who are reserved get really excited during sporting events. And so it really doesn't have anything to do with that. But anyway, man, what, I think God has something to say to us today. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, you know, we are in the middle of a series. And uh, I decorated for Christmas this morning, as you can see. Uh, I wore a red sweater and I put a nativity scene out. And so um, I just couldn't have nothing. It just, you know, there had to be something there. But um, it's interesting because this isn't an Advent sermon. Um, but the book of John is one of the greatest pictures of who Jesus is and what we need to do about it. Um, and that's why John wrote the book. And so this is part 34. If you're just tuning in today for the first time or if you've not been a part, we've been using a book called The Untold Story by Frank Viola to try to help us read the Bible as a story. Um, too often we take chunks of the Bible out and we just apply them however we want to apply them. We talked about this last week in the book of Titus. We treat them like an ink blot test. You know, what do you see when you read this verse? And there's nothing wrong with making the Bible applicable to our lives, but we need to make sure we're understanding it as a story. We have been invited into something that God has been doing since the foundation of the earth. He's not making this up as he goes along. In, at the beginning of 2020, he was not up in heaven going, what are we going to do? COVID, the election. Oh my goodness. He wasn't. He knew from the beginning and he prepared us in advance for works to do in this season. And we're too busy saying, well, we got to get back to the way things were. Harsh. No, we don't need to go back to anything. We need to do the works that God said to do right now. And the work to do is just believe he is who he said he is. And that ought to change everything in our lives. And sorry if I get a little excited today, but the book of John has a way of doing that because John, in a brilliant way, writes this gospel to us, and it is crazy. If you haven't been a part of the other services, you can go back. You can go to the, the Slack page to get the reading plan. Um, our last service together in this room is going to be January 10th. And my hope is to speed things up a little and get this done before we leave. If not, 
we'll just take a break for a little bit and come back to it sometime in February and uh, finish up the last couple books. My fear is that I can't rush through the book of Revelation. Um, some of you have been dying for us to get there, and uh, you may not like how I present it to you, but uh, we'll, we'll take some time if we have to. But today, we're going to take the book of John. Uh, that's what we should have read this last week. And in this week ahead, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Okay, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you're talking seven chapters. This week was 21, next week is seven chapters, so it's a little bit easier. But I think we can cover all three of those books, I think, uh, in one service, so we're going to see. But today, this message is called, That You May Believe. That You May Believe. The Gospel of John, okay, the gospel is, the word gospel is, called, is good news. So the good news about Jesus Christ, according to John. John, at the end of his book, tells us this is the disciple who Jesus loved. It's interesting that, um, you know, I always think of that when Moses wrote that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth in the book of uh, Numbers, I believe it is. And now John here writes he's the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, it's just interesting that they can say these things about themselves. But that's not arrogance. When you understand who you are in Christ, that's not arrogance. That's identity. And far too many of us see ourselves as a wretched worm. Well, yeah, apart from Christ, that's what we were. But in Christ, we are not. And if we do not understand who we are, we will never walk in the destiny that he has for us. He created us in advance, and he created us as a masterpiece in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he had planned for us since the beginning. I mean, that's what Paul says in Ephesians. That's not John, but, you know, that's Ephesians. So when we, when we read the gospel stories, we've talked about Matthew, Mark, and Luke already. We've got to understand, these guys are not just writing like a factual journal for us to read. Okay, Matthew was writing to Jews. So he presented Jesus as king of the Jews. He presented Jesus with all the Old Testament prophecies so that the Jewish audience would receive Jesus as the Messiah. Mark wrote to the Romans. And so Mark wrote in a way that he was like, immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did that, and immediately this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. It was like, because the Romans didn't, they're like, the Romans were a lot like Americans, and that should tell us something because Rome imploded on itself, so that should be a lesson, different sermon. But Romans were like us. We wanted it fast. We don't want to read this long, drawn-out sermon. We want, just give us the facts, give us the details. And that's what Mark does. It presents Christ as this suffering servant, born to die, and hopefully the Romans will read it, come to faith in God. Luke's book, um, I actually believe Luke wrote his book, this detailed account, to be read in the synagogue, Luke Acts, with the law, the prophets, and the writings. So that every week in the synagogue, there was a set thing that they had to read. And I think Luke wrote his, his gospel and the book of Acts to be read in accordance with that in the synagogue. So these are the things. So when John writes, John is not, even more than anything else, John is not writing just a detailed, factual account of what happened. He is writing a brilliant discourse to show that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. And if you're going to believe who he claimed to be, it's going to change your life dramatically. But every single one of us have to choose. And so um, I put two videos, again, from the Bible Project on the Slack page. And if you have not watched any yet, 
I say watch them because it will bring out what John is doing. And John is basically refuting four false teachings. Frank brings out the four false teachings that John is trying to refute by writing his gospel because the other gospel accounts have already been circulated. And why does John need to write another one? Well, because the people, the believers, are starting to believe that the material world of matter is evil. Therefore, the divine Christ could not have come in human flesh. And he came as a spirit, and he only seemed to be touchable human flesh. False. <laughs> and so John's going to write about that. Jesus was not the Son of God. False. John's going to clearly say that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and then he rose from the dead to prove it. Since salvation, the third one, means deliverance from the physical world, including the physical body, it doesn't matter how you live in your body. So once you believe in Jesus... Okay? You can sin. You can do whatever because it doesn't matter because this, your flesh doesn't matter. It counts for nothing. False. And John's going to address that in his gospel. Jesus clearly said, if you love me, obey me. He doesn't say, if you love me, you know, just wait till you get to heaven. So however you live, you know, new. No. John's going to refute every one of these. And since sin is a part of the material world, sin does not exist for the Christian. And these false prophets are sinless. John really is going to hit that one in his gospel or in his letter, 1 John. He's like, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. <laughs> That's John, not me. Because none of us are sinless and all of us absolutely need what Christ did for us. So let's jump into what happens in the book of John. Chapter 1 basically becomes an introduction of who Jesus is. Chapters 2 through 12, John is going to actually do the same thing over and over. He's going to have Jesus perform a sign, or Jesus is going to make some great claim about himself that's going to force everybody present to make a decision. They're either going to believe him because of what he's done and said, or they're going to reject him because of what he's done and said. Then chapters 13 through 17 is just the final day of Jesus. It's his triumphal entry. It's the, the night with his disciples. Three chapters are basically him teaching them what they need to know in this final moment. Then his prayer in John chapter 17. Then 18, 19, and 20 are the trial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Then 21 is kind of like an epilogue. I mean, the disciples go back to Galilee. They start fishing. I think sometimes we get a little confused as to what happened in the last 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. They were back and forth between Jerusalem and Galilee, which is a couple days journey. Okay, so they didn't hop in the car in a couple hours they're in Galilee. They took a couple days back to Galilee. Jesus meets them there. But then later on, when Jesus ascends to heaven, he ascends from the Mount of Olives, which is in Jerusalem. So they're back and forth over this 40-day period as you piece it together in all the Gospels. And John is writing, basically he tells us himself in John chapter 20, this is why I wrote. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you'll one day go to heaven. No, I didn't say that at all. But we kind of dumb it down to the, the gospel. Oh, ask Jesus to forgive your sins so that when you die, you go to heaven. False. Yes, you're going to go to heaven when you believe in Jesus, but you have been commissioned to come into the kingdom and to live as if the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so by believing in Jesus, you might have life. You might have life in the midst of COVID. You might have life in the midst of financial hardship. You might have life no matter what's going on in your life. Amen. 
I didn't plan to get this excited. I'm sorry. But all through the book, John just keeps highlighting. There are people who believe and then people who refuse to believe. In just a few verses before this, Jesus had appeared to all of his disciples, remember? Except Thomas. Oh, poor Thomas. He, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch, unless I can see. And so Jesus, I love it. Jesus doesn't, isn't like, okay, Thomas, since you have to see to believe, nothing for you. Somehow that's how we see Jesus. Oh, you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. Huh? What kind of false teaching is that? I know a God that continues to pursue us no matter how many times we screw up. I mean, if he demonstrated his love for us in that when we were his enemies, why would he stop? He is constantly pursuing you. And if, all you, if you're getting hung up on your flaws and your sins, and your, you're not listening to the right voice. Because Jesus comes to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, he says, here, touch me. Put your hand wherever you need to put it. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, I, I believe my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this, because you have seen me and you, you have believed. Okay, Thomas, I'm going to be up front with you. It took seeing to believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. I mean, praise God that you can see a miracle or God can come through in your life and you can see something and be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But you're blessed when you believe without having to see because you believe on the evidence of what's already been done. That's going to be important as we go. And so John doesn't start with the original Christmas story that we're familiar with. He starts with this introduction, this poem. In the beginning was the word. Okay, Jesus is the word. He was the word, and he was, the word was with God, and the word was God, okay? He's refuting false claims. Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Then in verse 14, the word became flesh. He didn't look like flesh. He became flesh, and he tabernacled. It says dwelt. That's literally the word tabernacled. I love that you brought up the tabernacle today because Jesus became the tabernacle. When we read in John chapter 2 that Jesus cleared the temple, what does he say when he clears the temple? Destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. He was talking about his body. His body was now the place where heaven and earth came together. He was the temple. He is the tabernacle. He is the place where the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. This is what John says. Jesus is the portal of heaven come to earth. And it's not just so you and I can go to heaven. It's so you and I can become portals of heaven. Yeah, that's exciting. Woo. He tabernacled among us. And then, it's okay. I'm going to get you excited by the end, I promise. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to those who was his own, and his own didn't receive him. His own didn't believe in him. Yet, <laughs> to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. And that is what we are, dear friends. You are a child of God. If you have put belief and confidence in what Christ has done, if you've said, I needed that, I needed him to die in my place. I believe he died as a substitute for my sin as the son of God. And I am now committing myself to him as a citizen of heaven. You're a son and daughter of God. And yet we walk around every day complaining, moaning, thinking things have to change. And God's like, dude, I put everything in you to change the world around you. What are you waiting for? And it's so easy for us to just blame it on the sovereignty of God. Oh, well, if it, whatever God wants to happen will happen. Really? He doesn't want any to perish. But guess what? Some are going to perish. If God got everything he wanted, no one would perish. And yet he entrusted you and I and said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Oh, if that person gets saved, it's just up to the will of God. No, it's not. It's up to you and I to understand he's put his spirit in us. I don't have to force anyone to accept it, but I have to open my mouth and say it. I have to live like it. I have to live a life as a citizen of heaven here on this earth. I can't just claim, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died for me and not have my life prove it. I have to live like he lives in me. I mean, the word became flesh. The spirit of God lives in us. Does it look like it? Is the way that you and I are living so radically different than people who don't have the spirit of God? If it doesn't, we ought to say something or do something. We ought to be like, Lord, shake us. Shake us so that only the kingdom remains. And that's what he's doing, whether we wanted it or not. <laughs> because he loves us. He loves you way too much to let you stand before him and say, I didn't know you. So he is going to shake anything in our lives that he can shake because he longs to say, well done. He longs to say, well done. So he's going to do whatever he can to get that out. Whoo, praise God. So let's just look at a couple verses of what happens. So Jesus comes to Nathaniel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, you, I saw you under a fig tree. So Jesus gives a word of knowledge that he saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, I believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, wow, that's all it took for you? What's it take for you to believe that Jesus is who he said he is? One word of knowledge? What happens when the word of knowledge comes, but then three days later, it looks like the word of knowledge isn't going to come to pass? I love the fact that I read today, Mary had to review the prophecy that was spoken. Because she, she had to believe. She had to remind herself what the prophet said, what the angel said. She had to remind herself what Simeon said, what Anna said. Because some days, Mary couldn't remember. She couldn't believe what was said. So she treasured, she pondered those things in her heart. That's what the scripture teaches us. In John chapter 2, Jesus shows up at a wedding. Did I put the right verse up there? I didn't. There it is. You believe because I told you, I saw you under a fig tree, you're going to see greater things than that. John chapter 2, when Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, by the way, he turned the water into wine. Oh, don't worry, it's not wine like today. We get so hung up on things that just don't matter and we miss the things that do. We do. This was the first signs, sign which through he revealed his glory. And remember, he wasn't even supposed to do it yet. His time hadn't come, but his mom convinced him. Can't say no to mom. And his disciples believed in him. 
Then later on, he was in Jerusalem at Passover festival. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. John chapter 3, he has this conversation with Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world for you to live in condemnation. He didn't come here to condemn the world. So Christians, be careful that we're actually presenting the gospel and not condemnation to the world out there. Make sure the gospel that we're presenting actually brings them to life, not pushes them more into death. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in God's one and only son. Look, you don't have to clean up your life to be, to be not condemned. You have to believe in Jesus, and by believing, he's going to clean up your life. But it's got to be believing. It's not just Okay, I said a prayer so my sins are covered so I can go to heaven. It's believing. It's coming into the kingdom. It's taking that he said who he said he is, and I'm going to live like he is who he said he is. But whoever rejects the son will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. Then he goes to talk to a Samaritan. <gasps> a Samaritan? Why would he do that? Because he loves them. There isn't a person on this planet he is not madly in love with. The most despicable of sinners, the most despised person in your mind right now, he's head over heels in love with. And he stops there and he says, many from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So then when the Samaritans came, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said, we no longer believe because of what you said. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know this man is the Savior of the world. So for all of these chapters, this is what Jesus is doing. He turns the water into wine. He heals a sick boy. He heals a paralyzed man, feeds the 5,000, heals a blind man, raises Lazarus from the dead, which gets him killed, by the way, because it was that sign that actually led the chief priests to say, enough, we've got to do something. Can you imagine that? Jesus raised a man from the dead who had been dead at least four days. At least four days. Dead, dead, dead. Jesus raised him to life, and the chief priest used that as a reason to kill him. I think of Jesus' words when Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 says, hey, would you, would you send, well, not Lazarus, the rich man, Send someone to my family so they don't come to hell and experience this torment. And Jesus is, or Moses is having this conversation, Abraham, excuse me, he's having a conversation with him. And he says, you know, if you, if they don't believe the, the word, if they don't believe the testimony, they're not going to believe if someone rises from the dead. See, you and I sometimes think, well, if I could just see someone rise from the dead, then I believe. No, you wouldn't. If you can't believe before they come back from the dead, you won't believe after. I mean, it might give you an emotional jolt, but it won't keep you. That's not belief. If you have to see to believe, you're not going to make it. You've got to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. How do I know this? Because of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, sometime after this it says, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They see him healing the sick, so they start following him. 
They went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Then he takes a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish and he feeds 5,000 people. Anybody ever done that? A couple loaves of bread, two fish, feed 5,000 people. That's pretty good. That's a good day right there. And after the people saw the sign, they said, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And did Jesus want us to believe he's the prophet? No. Son of God, Messiah. You got to believe I am who I say I am. So they're not all in. It looks like they are because they're following him. They're showing up for church every week. They're coming to the synagogue because they believe, hey, I've said the prayer. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. That's not belief. Belief is I'm in the kingdom. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm living like a citizen of the kingdom. That's what belief is. So Jesus knows they're going to force him to try to be king, so he goes by himself. Never lets anybody force him to do anything. You can't force Jesus to do anything. He even says this at the end when he's talking to Pilate. Pilate's like, don't you know I could kill you? And I imagine Jesus, even though he's already been beaten, kind of chuckling to himself. You have no power over me that wasn't given to you from above. He's not worried. He's not worried about what anybody can do to him because he knows who he is. Then, once the crowd realizes Jesus is not there, they went on the other side of the lake, they got in boats, they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because they know the disciples left, but remember, Jesus didn't go with them. He walked on the water, and they're like, when did you get here? There were no boats left, like, confused by that. Jesus said, I love this. He's going to shake us. Verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed. In other words, not because you believe I am who I said I am as a result of the signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're serving me because of what I can do for you, not because of who I am. Why does Jesus shake what has to be shaken in our lives? Because he already knows what we're trusting in. See, newsflash, when things shake in our lives and we feel a lot of turmoil, that stuff was always there and God was totally aware of it. And he didn't think any less of us at the time because our righteousness depends on what Christ did, not because of our performance. And so he shakes us so we become aware of it. Sometimes it's through a word. Sometimes it's through a circumstance. Sometimes it's through a difficulty. But whatever it is, he shakes us to say, you know what, you're working for food that spoils. I mean, it could be good work. It could be religious work. It could be helping people. It could be serving people. It could be, uh, you know, it could be pastoring. It could, people will sit here and perform miracles and do all these things in Jesus' name and he'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. You didn't put confidence in my name. You were working for food that spoils. Earthly stuff. And I'm gonna shake earthly stuff so that you learn to trust in the, the right stuff. But if you fight that shaking, you won't be ready. I say, Pastor Tom, this is kind of a downer word. I know. Um, Jesus makes it a downer word, but it gets better, don't worry. So hang with me. So he's confronting their motivation. He's bringing them to this crisis of belief. Now, before you start thinking, I'm saying that signs aren't important. Oh, contrary, we're going to get to that. So hang with me. 
But we got to keep reading through John chapter 6. So then they said, what sign will you give us? So we'll see and believe you. What is going on? They started following because of all the miracles. He fed them with a couple loaves and a couple fish. And yet they're saying, what sign will you give us? See, if you don't believe before the sign, you'll just always need another sign. If you can't rehearse yesterday's sign and trust today when it's dark, when it's confusing, and when it's hard because he gave you a sign yesterday, if you're looking for a new sign today, it's not going to always come. And you've got to cling to who you know him to be. And Jesus is going to keep pushing. He says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said this, I tell you, because remember, he fed them the day before. Are you going to do that every day? So we can, you know, have manna every day. You're going to meet our needs every day. You're going to give us everything we want every day. You're going to give us a cushy little pewdicin in every week so that we can, you know, just live out our days on earth as happy as we can until you come back and set all things in order. That's the way a lot of the American church is living, or at least it was prior to March. And now we're like, ah. Uh. And he's like, it's okay. I got this. Trust me. Trust me. Nobody can take you from my hand. <laughs> you are there etched in the palm of my hand. Promise in the word. Trust me. And so Jesus begins this discourse. We're going to skip some of it because I want us to go to the, the good part. <laughs> and by good part, I mean the hard part. So Jesus finally says to them, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Well, that's a great way to mess up the synagogue service that day. Didn't Jesus know there were kids in the room, this eating flesh and drinking blood thing? Now, it's hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes because we understand what he meant now. But if you could picture him saying basically cannibalism, this is what you got to do. See, if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to come to a crisis of belief. You're going to come to, to a moment in life where something Jesus says doesn't jive with how you want to live. He's going to shake. And the question is, are you going to trust he is who he says he is, or are you going to run away? On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware of the, his disciples' grumbling, Jesus turns and says, does this offend you? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Can you get this? People were healed. Blind people were healed. Lame people were healed. Lepers were healed. Dead people were raised. And because of these words, people turned around and didn't follow him. If you think all you need is a sign or two and then you'll be able to make it, it's not true. 
You need to believe he is who he said he is. He put his spirit in you. His spirit is in you, whether you feel like his spirit is in you or not. And it's time to fan into flame the gift of the spirit that he's put in you. Start believing you are who he said you are, and you can live like he said you can live. This is our commission as disciples of Jesus. We're not hanging on till the rapture. Oh, please come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we can't take another day. That's not the rapture call. We're to be thriving in this moment, releasing the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we got to read the next part. He turns to his other disciples, the 12, and he says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? I'm thinking at this point, Jesus, you ought to just stop the bleeding, okay? They didn't like the sermon, so just, you know, kind of chill. And, uh, and then Simon Peter answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? See, they didn't like the word either. But they said, we have come to believe and know you're the Holy One of God. We have no idea what you're saying. We have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) But I'm not turning back because I believe you are who you said you are. And I don't care what happens to me. I don't care how this turns out. I believe. I believe. And I'm going to live like it. Then we come to the final moments of Jesus. The final moments of Jesus. They start in John chapter 13. But I want to look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. Because this is what Jesus says to them in their final moments. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. So if we claim to believe in God, but it was just so that we could get to heaven, true belief in God means I am now not my own. I'm bought with a price. And I am to be doing what he was doing. Not living for me. Not living just to, you know, have a good retirement. Living for eternity. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. See, one of those commands is to do the works. It's to believe for heaven to come to earth. It's to believe for people to be healed, for people to be set free, for people to be raised from the dead. It's to believe. Well, pastor, what if we pray and people don't get healed? It's not up to me to raise them. It's up to me to be a distributor of what he did. And I am tired of saying, oh, I believe Jesus did that. I believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. But, you know, I just hope I get to heaven someday. You think that's what he meant for us? No, that's the lie we've been duped with. And because we don't understand, because it doesn't always work out, because sometimes people are saying crazy things like, you didn't have enough faith to be healed. Shut up. I know that's a harsh word, but really, it's not about the lack of faith. If you have the lack of faith, be like the father that just says, help me overcome my unbelief. How many of you know all of us have unbelief in our lives? Jesus wants to shake it out of us. He doesn't like shake it hard. Well, 
Yeah, he does. <laughs> That's a lie. Because it's hard. It's a shaking. But sometimes that stuff gets so stuck to us. And he's got to shake it off. And actually, he calls us to shake it off ourselves. Okay? He says, shake it off and trust me. We are called as citizens of the kingdom to pursue the kingdom for the glory of God. We're not called to be apathetic towards signs and wonders. We're not called to be indifferent towards signs and wonders. We have a responsibility as citizens of heaven to distribute the work of Jesus on earth. They tell us in America we should be good citizens. Be a good citizen. Be involved in your community. Do good things for your community. Serve people in your community. Uh, vote when it's time to vote. Be active. Call your congressmen. Call your senators and representatives. Speak up about the, the injustices that are taking place. Do it. Be a good citizen. And I would say amen. Be a good American citizen. But I would say be a good citizen of heaven. And don't just sit back and let it waste that one drop of his blood would be wasted. It's time that we are distributors. Can I tell you this? The people you don't pray for aren't getting healed. But the one you pray for might. And Jesus said, obey my commands. That's not about being perfect. That's just about being a distributor. Your perfection is in what he did. So the moment you believe he is the son of God, died in your place, and you are now a citizen of heaven, you are perfect before God. Nothing you do or don't do changes that perfection. But it is time for us to be distributors of that and to release it over our cities. Stop releasing death. Stop releasing complaint and criticism and worry and fear and doubt. Release life. Release life over your family. Release life over that doctor's report. Release life over everything. Some people are still going to die, and it's not my job to figure out why some die and some don't, why some get healed and some don't. It's my job to distribute what he did. And I can no longer say, well, you know, i got to figure out exactly how this works. Just distribute. Amen. So we walk in obedience. It also means, oh, it's not just about signs and wonders. Let's go back a chapter. See, Jesus washes their feet. He takes the job that the lowest servant is supposed to take because none of the other disciples would do it. And when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Listen to this, church. Do you understand what I have done for you? He's basically saying, I've modeled for you. You call me teacher and Lord, that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have humbled myself to the point of the lowest servant in the room and have washed your feet, so you should also wash one another's feet. Period. And can I tell you something? The church, we don't live like this. The American church does not live and serve like Jesus served us. We don't love like Jesus loved us. And that's a command. We're not only supposed to fight for kingdom come, heaven come, signs and wonders. We are to love as he loved us. Serve as he served us. We're not supposed to serve as we see fit. We're not supposed to serve as we think is reasonable or maybe even exceptional. We're to serve as he served us. Anything less is unacceptable. 
And, well, Pastor Tom, it's so hard to overcome the wounds and the hurts. I know it is. That's why he put a supernatural spirit inside of us to be overcomers. But your choice is, are you going to believe that that hurt is something you can't get past? That wound is something you can't overcome? Or are you going to believe that he put a supernatural presence inside of you to love like he loved you, to serve like he served you, to do what he has called us to do? We're to be distributors of that. How do we overcome evil in the world? Paul says overcome evil with good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. See, that takes supernatural living. And so if you just, oh, well, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And, and yet I'm going to hold a grudge against people. Yet people curse me and I'm going to curse back. It's really quiet in the room today. But guys, please, 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 please don't be condemned by this. I'm like, well, Pastor Tom, it's a little harsh. I know, but just believe. Just believe. And here's the thing. I want to go way over there. Like, there's the goal, way over there, just like Jesus. Imitate God in everything I do. And I don't have to get there today. In fact, let me just be blunt. I'm not getting there today. And as I look between here and there, I see a whole lot of stuff that got to get worked out. All I got to do is take one step. One step at a time. The step he's putting in front of me today. Believe. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Are we living this lay down our lives kind of life? This serve no matter the cost kind of life. See, we think of it as justification. Justification means I accept Christ and I am perfect before God, just as if I'd never sinned. Then we have the term sanctification. Sanctification is where we work out the life of Jesus in our lives and we become more like him. But I don't like the word sanctification anymore because it, it focuses on me. My character has to change. My behavior has to change. I'd rather use the word distributor. I need to be a distributor. Because here's what I found. If you start understanding who you are in Christ, the position that he's given you, and you just start releasing that position, here's what I think is going to happen. Our lives are going to get cleaned up. Those things that you've been struggling to overcome, those addictions that you've, oh, I'm going to try harder to overcome that addiction. Good luck with that. The harder I try, Paul says, the worse I fail. Who can set me free from this? <laughs> That's what he says. I try so hard to do the right thing and then the, the wrong thing just comes out even more. And we have focused on sanctification as cleaning up our act. We've got to clean up our act. And I think sanctification is all about just releasing what's already been put in you. And as you become a vessel he flows through, that's how you get filled up. If you just want to be filled up so you can be blessed, oh, fill me up so I can be blessed, then you become stagnant and dead because there's no outflow. This is the scripture. This is the story God has been telling from the beginning. He even put his people in a land that had two bodies of water the Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is a freshwater sea. It's actually a lake. It's really small. And water flows in, water flows out. It's fresh. It's life. The Dead Sea 
Not so much. Water flows in, nothing flows out. It's dead. It's not just about receiving, it's about distributing. Who? One last scripture, not from John. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. From the beginning of John, all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. Why do I put those there? Because how did he love us with immense patience? How did he serve us with immense patience? How do we serve others? Well, if I'm reading the Bible right, with immense patience. How do I love others? Well, with immense patience. And here's the thing. If the Apostle Paul, who had visions of the third heaven, performed many miracles, gave us so much of our New Testament that we read and grow from, was the worst of sinners, how do you think you and I measure up? I'm guessing we're at least in the same category as the worst of sinners. So there's not anyone else in my life that I can look at and say, oh, they, I was never that bad. Nope, I was equally bad. And we react to people because we think they're worse than us. They're more deceived than us. They might be deceived in a different area. They might struggle in a different area. They might sin in a different way than us. But it's all the same. And how did he give, what did he do for us? Mercy. See, this changes everything. I don't want you today to say a prayer and invite Jesus into your heart to trust that he's going to take away all your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. I don't want you to do that. I want you to admit you're the worst of sinners. I want you to admit that you've broken God's law and that absolutely nothing you can do, me, myself included, can ever change that. And then I want you to believe that he changed everything. That Jesus not only came in the flesh, he was the son of God. He died a substitutionary death in our place and he took every sin we have ever committed and ever will commit on his body that day. And he now, because of our faith in that, because of that, we stand before God positionally saved, totally right before God. Son of God, daughter of God. You see, it's not like, okay, after a couple weeks when you prove yourself and after you, you know, meet a couple benchmarks and you at least drop one bad habit. This is how we live. We don't, we don't realize that we're instantly made sons and daughters of God. And if we do, we don't treat other people that way. They're instantly made sons and daughters of God. So we treat them with mercy, with grace, with kindness, with honor, because God's working out in them the same thing he's working out in us. Positionally, we're right with God. That's what I want us to do. I want us to make that choice, that decision. And then I want us to know that we have now signed up to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to live like it. There's no longer apathy or indifference towards signs and wonders. 
We've been called to be distributors. Pray for people. Now, you don't have to be weird. You can just say, could I pray for you to be healed? That's all you have to do. And if someone says no, say, okay, thanks. If they say yes, you just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sin and dying for our sicknesses because it's in your word, Psalm 103, Isaiah 53, 1 Peter chapter 2, by his wounds you have been healed. It's in there. Thank you for that. And I apply that right now as a distributor. <laughs> I, just, I just release that healing into this physical body right now to be totally healed and restored in Jesus' name. Well, what if they don't get healed? Not up to you. Put him on the spot. But by the way, we have to obey him. We have to obey him. We can no longer treat people the way they treat us. We have to treat them the way he's commanded us. We can no longer live for ourselves in sexual immorality or greed or selfishness or pride. We have to live the way. And again, I'm already perfect. But if I'm going to be a distributor, I can't have anything clogging it up. And so I have to start throwing some things off that I would rather leave attached to my life because I like them, because they make me feel good. And for every one of us in the room, that list is going to be way different. But there are things we are called to throw off as citizens of the kingdom because they're, they're slowing us down. I don't believe we are waiting on a move of God to come from heaven. I don't. I believe we're waiting for the church to arise and shine because the glory has come. The glory of the one and only sent from the Father. His spirit lives in us. And all it's going to take to set this nation ablaze is for just a handful to really start to understand their identity and start pursuing the kingdom with this type of mentality. And this place is ripe to be set on fire. And so, Father, thank you for what you have done for us. <laughs> thank you, God, for bringing us into the kingdom of the Son you love. Jesus, thank you that by your death, you triumphed over every evil force, every principality, every sin I have ever committed and ever will commit. You have brought total victory to me, to everyone in this room, and to everyone watching online. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would make those more than words. May they be a reality in the heart of every person hearing me speak right now. God, I pray for every one of us to admit we are the worst of sinners. There is nothing we can do to be in right standing with you, but I pray that we would put total confidence in what your son, the son of God, did as a human when he came to this earth and he gave his life. And not only did he give his life, but he was raised to new life as a first fruits, God, so that you could put your spirit in me. You never said it was all about getting us into heaven. Your, your word from beginning to end, this whole story has been about getting heaven into us. 
to put a new heart in us, to put a new spirit in us. God, thank you that you've done it. Holy Spirit, shake everything in our lives that's keeping us from seeing that clearly and living like we are sons and daughters of God, living like we are literally distribution centers of heaven. You have put your spirit in us. By believing in you, you said we would do the same works that you did. We would serve people the way you served them. We would love people the way you loved them. We would treat people the way you treated them. We would honor people the way you honored them. God, we would obey every command you gave us. And we would believe that you want to bring heaven into the lives of our family members, that you want to bring heaven into the lives of our coworkers, that you want to bring heaven into our city. And so God, I just pray for total transformation today. God, no sermon I could craft can make that happen. Even this brilliant book that John has written cannot do it. It's your spirit that needs to do it. And so I pray, God, that the words that John has given us would leap in the hearts of men, women, teenagers, children, every one of us today. And God, all around this city, all around this county, that today and tomorrow, that heavenly distribution centers are gonna reopen their doors. Maybe they're gonna open their doors for the first time. And we're gonna love people, God, that aren't treating us the way we wanna be treated. We're gonna bless those that curse us. We're gonna love our enemies and those who mistreat us. We're gonna serve people. We're gonna go above and beyond in our workplaces. We're not gonna do just the minimum. God, we're gonna do everything as, that we do as unto you. God, we're going to live as distribution centers. God, every time we encounter sickness or disease or addiction or oppression, we're going to release heaven into those lives. God, we're not going to speak death. We're not going to speak what the facts about how people are living any longer. God, we're going to look for what you have placed in them. God, what is being hampered by their sinful nature? What's being hampered by those addictions? And we're going to call those things to come back to life. God, the good things, the things that you have placed in us, those things that you had designed for us to do from even before the foundation of the earth. God, we need heaven's eyes. Holy Spirit, we need you to anoint our eyes today so that the, the blinders fall off, so that the pride and the selfishness and the self-righteousness falls off of our eyes so we can start seeing people the way you see them. God, so that we can see them and speak life over them and blessing over them and call forth those who are dead the same way you called Lazarus out of that tomb. God, whether they're spiritually dead or physically dead. We want to be distributors of the life of heaven. And so God, I pray today that every person that's hearing my voice would believe, that we would believe. Church, we have to believe. This is the work God has called us to do to believe in Jesus as the Son of God sent to earth as the portal of heaven to open the portal for you and I to be 
portals of heaven, living temples. God does not dwell in this building. He does not dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. He does not dwell in temples made by hands. He lives in us by his spirit. And you might be tired today. You might be weary today. But he has put an overcoming spirit in you. You do not have to give in to the tired. You do not have to give in to the frustration. You do not have to give in to the weariness today. You can strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. You can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You can, and I know you can because he's put his spirit in you and his spirit is for you and not against you. I don't care how many times you failed, it's time to get up. It's time to throw the open sign on your life today. You're a distribution center of the kingdom of heaven. And I call you to live like it this week. If you're in this room today, and you have never made that commitment, you do it today. All you have to do is admit to God that you are the chief of sinners, that you've broken his law, can't do anything about it. Put confidence in the fact that Jesus did it in your place. He did it as flesh. He did it as son of God. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to write a paper on it. You don't have to be able to, to fully explain the doctrines of justification and sanctification through the blood of Jesus Christ. You just have to, like a child, say, Jesus, you did it for me. I believe it. You were raised. You put your spirit in me. I'm a distribution center. And I need to know what things I got to throw off. And I got to know what things I got to stop being apathetic about. I got to get in your word. I got to start being in prayer. I got to start releasing heaven. When I'm in the middle of a complaint, I need to shut my mouth and I need to start releasing heaven over that situation. You're signing up to be a citizen of heaven. So you may have attended church for 50 years today, but today might be the first day you understand the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Don't cry over wasted years because my God redeems wasted years. And he is in a moment able to fully restore and take back everything the enemy has taken from you. The call today is just to believe. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, just believe. And so, Father, give us grace to do it. Over this body today, I pray your blessing. God, be gracious to us. Give us grace we need to live like distribution centers of heaven. To live like your spirit lives in us. To live like we stand before you as sons and daughters of God. To throw off everything that hinders. To throw off the sin that so easily entangles us to throw off the condemnation and fears and lies and doubts, the judgments, the hurts, the bitterness, the offenses. And God, to press in to those things that you have laid hold of us for. God, may your face shine on us today. May you lift up your countenance upon us. May you give peace today. Holy Spirit, just overwhelm us with your love, 
with your abiding presence and your power today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And as always, let me apologize for just going a little over, being a little too excited. But church, I don't kid you when I say this will change everything. I hope you'll meditate on the things that came from the Gospel of John today and that through this week, you'll live as one of those distribution centers. Our host